Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are back with number 32, The Godfather, part two. Right, Ethan? No, in fact, we are back with number 31, (laughs) The Maltese Falcon from 1941. As we indicated earlier, we went ahead and skipped over Godfather Part 2 so that we can watch it after watching Godfather Part 1. Yes, you guys will get a double episode uh, in, well, many A year (laughs) (laughs) or something like that, yeah. So in any case, we're going to talk about the Humphrey Bogart Maltese Falcon based on a novel, Go Figure. Go Figure. By Dashiell Hammett. Dashiell Hammett. We talked about him on the podcast before, but in our bonus content because of his novel Red Harvest being a ostensible precursor or the inspiration of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. So this is familiar territory, even though I've never seen the Maltese Falcon until this point. Yes. Had you seen it before, Ethan? No. Then it's new for us and maybe some of our listeners, so why don't we get a plot synopsis? All right. There's a, there's a, a good bit of plot in this uh, film. <laughs> so let's go. The Maltese Falcon is the story of Detective Sam Spade, who is approached by a woman named Ruth Wonderly. She begs Sam and his partner, Miles Archer, to help save her sister from the sinister Floyd Thursby. Archer volunteers to follow Thursby, but is shot and killed. Sam is woken by the phone later that night, informed of his partner's demise. At the scene of the crime, Sam seems unsure that Thursby killed Archer, and when he tries to call Wonderly, he finds that she's left her hotel. The police approach Sam and tell him that Thursby has also been killed. They suspect Sam. Archer's wife suspects Sam killed Archer to be with her. Her. So a lot of people suspect Sam. Sam finds Wonderly, whose real name is Bridget O'Shaughnessy. She insists Thursby killed Archer, but does not know who killed Thursby. Shortly after, a man named Cairo visits Sam at his office and pulls a gun on him, announcing that he is looking for a black sculpture of a falcon. Sam defeats Cairo, and when Cairo awakens, he hires Sam to help find the bird. O'Shaughnessy reveals that she knows Cairo. Later, Sam is followed, tailed, by a young man. The next day, he discovers that the young man works for the Fat Man, who Sam does eventually meet. However, the Fat Man, named Gutman, which really isn't that different from Fat Man, but whatever, reveals very little about the Falcon, and Sam storms out. Later, Wilmer, the young man that's been tailing Sam, forces Sam to again meet with Gutman, where he reveals the true history of the very valuable Falcon. However, Gutman drugs Sam, and Wilmer, Cairo, and Gutman head to retrieve the Falcon, or what they think is the Falcon. When Sam recovers, he discovers a newspaper with information regarding an incoming boat circled, and figures this must be the boat that holds the falcon by the time he gets to the boat it has been burned and after returning to his office the captain of the boat arrives shot and nearly dead and delivers 
the Falcon. He dies shortly after, and Sam receives a call from O'Shaughnessy. After he returns home, he is ambushed by O'Shaughnessy, Cairo, Gutman, and Wilmer. Gutman gives Sam $10,000 for the Falcon, but Sam insists that they need someone to take the fall for the murders. They decide to give up Wilmer, and when the Falcon arrives, it of course proves to be a fake. Wilmer escapes while Gutman convinces Cairo to return to Istanbul with him to continue searching for the real Falcon. Sam calls the police to give the pair up and confronts O'Shaughnessy. He accuses her of killing Archer and Thursby, which of course she did, and she begs him not to betray her to the police, but he does. Yes, and that's like... Yeah, you mentioned there's a lot of plot down, in this film, right? I mean, that's pared down as much as possible. And we should also mention that in addition to this extensive plot, yes, the film itself short. is only about an hour and 40 minutes. So a lot of this moves very quickly. I think more yes. so in the beginning of the film than the end. And so we have Archer's death and those initial scenes and the Thursby also getting killed. All of that happens in like yes. 10 quick and confusing minutes. And so I was kind of on the back foot with this film for a lot of it. All that being said, though, I do think it really gets good. And certainly the climax of the film, as we're waiting for the Falcon, finding out the Falcon's I fake, I thought that was really affecting. <laughs> you know, I really? So you're not really it, a fan of this, this film? This is a film that asks to be watched more than once well it it just reminds me maybe say more about that of bond films um and i do like a good bond film but there are a lot of bond films that have the same sort of somewhat incomprehensible plot things that happen very quickly with fairly anonymous people so i spent a lot of this film trying to figure out who the who is who who's working for who when are they lying and when are they telling the truth? What well, I, I I spent a lot of the time confused, and I think that's just the nature of a film like this. That something like a Bond film does m- mimic in a lot of ways, and maybe I'm learning that this is maybe not my genre. I like the the visual stuff film noir, noir person. is so compelling. It's this is and this truly is a very visually compelling film. But in terms of the actual plot, I don't really care who's who. I just kind of want to see Humphrey Bogart being a badass in essentially vignettes. Uh, he yes he did and call calling a lead bird a dingus. <laughs> Not more, not once, like twice or something. I thought I misheard him the first time, and then he said it again. I was like, oh, well, that's, that probably was different then. Well, Ethan, to counter your perspective of this film, I think this movie occupies a similar position as other films on the list for me. So more on that is something like Midnight Cowboy, I think is the most recent example for me. Where I watched most of it kind of eh, and then the end cements the whole experience for me, and then I retroactively gain appreciation of the film. And this film totally did that. I was interested, but I wasn't enthralled most of my viewing. 
and then after that last let's say 10 minutes i looked back I and said you know what i really like that movie i don't know that i that i had that Well, let me try to reacquaint you with it with our pivotal scene. So as I have just intimated there, my pivotal scene for this film is actually that last scene in which Sam is basically monologuing about really his spine, thinking of like character spine, and how he's kind of this, he's not necessarily an anti-hero, but he definitely feels kind of like a scummy guy at the beginning. He's sleeping with his partner's wife, and then she comes and says, now we can be together. And he's like, oh, I was basically just saying that, and I really didn't want to. And at the end, this is the scene I'm talking about where he sits down in the chair and says, when something happens to your partner, you got to do something about it. You know, whether or not you feel anything for him, you have to do something about it. And he also says, it's also bad for business if you can't find, if you're a private eye and your partner gets killed and you can't find the killer. So he's, he's warring between these different pragmatic reasons and also just these, let's call them immovable reasons, right? His, his character itself doesn't allow for him to let the wrong thing happen. And there's actually that one moment where he's gripping O'Shaughnessy by the shoulders and shaking her and says, you know, I, I'm going to turn you in because everything in my being tells me not to do it. And so there's this like internal strife he's dealing with. So why don't we take a listen and we'll be back. Surely, Mr. Archer, wasn't so much to you. Surely, Mr. Archer, wasn't so much to you. Listen. This won't do any good. Listen. You'll never understand me, but I'll try once and then give it up. You'll never understand me, but I'll try once and then give it up. Do something. It. The man's party was killed. He thought to do your partner, and you're supposed to do something about it. Doesn't make any difference what you thought of. He was your partner, and you're supposed to do something about it. Well, it happens when your organization, organization gets killed. It's, well, it's bad business to let the killer get away with it. It's bad all around. It's bad for every detective everywhere. It's bad all around. It's bad for every detective everywhere. Wait till I'm through, then you can talk. I have no way to read through that I can trust you. If I do this, I get away with it. You'll have something I can trust you can use. If I do this, you get away with it. You'll have something I can trust you can use. I couldn't be sure that you wouldn't put a hole. I've got something on you. I couldn't be sure that you wouldn't put a hole on me someday. Maybe some of them are unimportant. All those are unimportant. Maybe some of them are unimportant. Look at the number. But look at the number. All we've got is that maybe you love me, and all we've got is that. Maybe you love me. And you know whether you love maybe me. Maybe I not. love you. You know whether you love me or maybe not. Maybe I do. I'll have some rotten nights after I've sent maybe you over. Maybe I do. But that'll pass. I'll have some rotten nights after I've sent you over, but that'll pass. If all I've said doesn't mean anything to you, then forget it. We'll make if it just all I've this. said doesn't mean anything to I you. I won't then because all of me wants we'll it just regardless this. of consequences. I won't because all because of me wants it counted on regardless that with me. The same as you counted on that with all the others. Because you counted on that with me. The same as you counted on that with all the others. You got your money? Would you have done Don't this be too sure I'm as crooked as I'm supposed to be. That sort of Don't reputation be might be good business. I'm supposed to bringing high price sort of jobs. Reputation might be good business. Deal with the enemy. Bringing high price jobs and making it easy to deal with the enemy. One more item, a lot more money was scale. If you'd love me, you wouldn't have needed any more on that side. If you'd love me, you wouldn't have needed any more on that side. I found this scene to be really powerful 
it comes at the end of the film, but it just cements everything about Sam Spade for me. And I think mm-hmm. it's so familiar. Never having seen the Maltese Falcon, I feel like we know the character we're dealing with. And we've seen him a few times in a couple of the films we watch for this podcast, whether in the canon or in our bonus. But I think, you know, I already mentioned Yojimbo earlier. Yeah. And I think Kurosawa absolutely gets that character type from Hammett here, right? The original writer. And mm-hmm. with Sanjuro of Yojimbo, right? The main character. You also see this a little yeah, bit definitely. with, like, Decker from Blade Runner. I was going to say, yeah. Indiana say another Jones. Harrison Ford this, character, uh, Indiana me, Jones. It has, there's so much Indiana Jones here. Or, or maybe it's vice versa, I guess. But we can get to that when we get to it. Yeah, and I just think this this archetype really informs not just the film noir genre, but all popular media in general. I mean, even someone like Walter White of Breaking Bad, who is kind of the most reachable anti-hero in recent memory, is a character that still has this core spine, but they slide on other things, right? Sam Spade is not a good man in terms of relationships with women. But he has this moral code that I think yeah. we're all attracted to no, anyway. I think so. I think there is something about his his code uh, that is that is extremely familiar. And that last the line too. What is it? The stuff that dreams are made of. Which apparently was suggested by Humphrey Bogart himself. And it's such a good line, right? It just is so impactful. I feel like the Falcon is just it's almost lovecraftian in its power to enthrall people i found it really compelling it also kind of acts like a MacGuffin. you know you can't think of pulp fiction or in the briefcase without and thinking and of the maltese uh, falcon they're going after and the anything and <laughs> <laughs> the anything yeah the ark of the covenant certainly yeah and it just it's so compelling to me because it has that sort of atmospheric quality to it and I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but I'm, you know, mm-hmm. talking about how much I like the film. We haven't even gotten to our three questions. But I, I really did have a good time with this film. And once that last scene fell into place, I gained a really yeah, deeper, I, a much deeper I, I appreciation. I wish I had the, the same experience of it as you did. And I don't know if it had to do with my viewing or my state of being, but I found myself more bored than anything aside from from a lot of this visual stuff i mean it was very familiar right as as we've pointed out but i, I don't know i maybe it's because i so many films have been influenced by this kind of film or this film in general i just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and it and it never really did and i was like oh well i guess that's just what because it's such an er text in so many ways I can agree with that in that maybe it's just that it's an evocative film as opposed to a film that really gives you everything. And so that, you know, with the Falcon itself, with the character of Sam Spade, with the world in which they inhabit, very Dashiell Hammett style, Mm -hmm. you know, crime, mystery, drama, noir style, that that's very influential, but maybe not very impressive to sit down and watch the, the source text for it. Well, yeah, we Ethan, do you to, think right? we should turn to our three questions? Yeah, so well, I think the first thing we should ask is, what do we owe to this film? On, I, I think that there are so many 
visual things. There are so many thematic things and just and just basic character uh, traits, right? You, as we've pointed out, there are so so many characters that are influenced by Sam Spade. There is so much visual stuff that that has been um, imitated, repeated, uh, parodied that comes out of this film indiana jones perhaps is one of at least for me was is one of the best examples of this because indiana jones has i mean there are even a few shots here these interior shots where the camera moves just behind sam spade this was this would be in uh o'shaughnessy's uh hotel room there there are moments that i was like i have seen this shot before in indiana jones i'm sure i've seen this shot in other things these sort of deep 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 you know shots that are like from the floor up when we look at characters i've seen these over and over and over again sam spade i think perhaps was not as compelling to me because somebody like indiana jones is an amalgamation of sam spade and a few other characters it just this film its fingers are in so many other things that it is hard to see this by itself and maybe that's been my my problem with the film maybe that was how i had a hard time as a viewer yeah that was a question i was going to ask of you is that if you just don't feel too saturated already with the echoes of this film reverberations of what this film did then you know then to be like more enthralled by the film itself which you know maybe is part of the explanation but I think you're definitely justified in in not seeing it the same way I did, but I'm not going to say that this is the first time we get right. anti-hero on screen. At least I'm just not prepared to make that statement. I, I think it's pretty early up there, but the way in which we're also asked as a viewer mm-hmm. to partake of that person's consciousness with the cinematography you were talking about, how you've got these behind-the-shoulder shots that kind of get you closer to sam we follow sam he's in every scene except for one which is the you know 12 mm-hmm. second scene where miles gets shot by the invisible gunman which is actually I, in this direction yeah. right because we know it's o'shaughnessy actually, that does seeing it seeing that shot i i had i rewound and watched it again because it was so jarring based on the the earlier what's five or six minutes of film we'd seen so far um i thought oh my god i have to pull this back a second and and see it again Yeah, those first several minutes are actually incredibly jarring, I think. And I wonder if they were just like, well, it has to be this long and we can't, we've got to get everything into it. So I wonder actually if you could just cut that and have it as background, but maybe they want it to be shown on screen and then you could just get a better idea of who Spade is. But in any case, you know, to stop playing editor or film editor, I do think that asking the audience to participate in the consciousness or in the actions of someone who is maybe detestable is too strong a term, but certainly close to, and not until the end to be, to be given something that says this person's actually not a bad guy. They've got a moral yeah, core but, but, but that is course, is willing to do bad things or apparently bad things to, to get the sort of justice he's looking for. Um, which is not necessarily police justice, but it's not dissimilar. Right. The police are instrumental 
in his version of justice, but they aren't yeah, the, they're not. And, and the stopping point, I guess you could say. <laughs> it gets results, Ethan. Why don't we move on to our second you know, question? I think, um, Does this film hold up? Visually, it is hard to say that it doesn't. Because there, the, the sort of visual things that this film does, whether or not it's originating there, and, and we can think about the film noir genre, which I think you know probably originates some of the shots or some of the style that we've seen here in other films. But this film does do it really well, and this film does it in a way that has been imitated again and again and again and again and again. And so in, in that way, I, I think it does hold up. It is dated in in a lot of ways but it holds up um the the sort of pacing of this film i don't know i found myself i found myself having trouble concentrating and i don't know if that again if that was my state of mind today watching or or what but like i said it reminds me of bond films and i sort of tune out halfway through a bond film too and i'm like i don't know who any of these people are i don't really care who any of these people are um I want to, you know, I'll figure it out at the end, which again is sort of what happened here. I was like, is that the same guy? Is why is that guy there? They're all lying to each other and they lie so quickly. And I'm like, is that the cop from before? Didn't he just say the cop got shot? And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't know. And so I just kind of live in the moment. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, I, as a viewer, would like this mm, film's yeah. scenes to breathe more. I think that would allow the actors who are giving very good performances to choose some more scenery for us to see the lies or be thinking alongside of Sam Spade. Is she lying? Is he lying? Is Are they telling the truth? And I think that would actually be in the movie's favor. I think moviegoers now, at least a certain crowd of moviegoers, I mean, hell, even mm-hmm. what Avengers Endgame is three hours long, so you can expect even a pretty base level moviegoer to sit through a, a lengthier film, I think make this film two and a half hours, spread out the plot, give us some more atmosphere, mm. more rain, right? More noir stuff. I think that would be great for it. I think maybe that's one aspect that doesn't hold up, but I think the performances are still very good. We were actually talking a few episodes ago about mm the black and white 40s films about how visually they held up a lot better than sort of the either Technicolor 50s or even like the late 60s films that kind of have some weird stuff going on visually. I think that's still true with this film. I think this one holds up fairly well because it's black and white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, So I think... Though the plot holds up, I think it needs to be stretched out a bit. I think it's a little too compact and makes it a little rushed, which maybe can hurt the viewer's engagement with the characters and the story itself. But overall, I would say it holds up, and it's definitely something that people need to go back and watch if they're you know, interested in this kind of film, either noir genre or... Yeah, anti-heroes or just American so film in general. Stuff, right? like, and on one hand, it does feel like things are slammed in there jam-packed but at the same time that lends itself an urgency to the film that i think is important to the plot there is a moment where i think we are as audience members meant to be uh sort of wowed at the ability of sam spade to think on his feet 
to navigate this this situation that is full of lies from everybody, full of confusion, full of movement. So so I think so I don't know. It's 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 hard for me to to make a a, a strong assessment either way. You don't think Sam Spade's well, ninja abilities for disarming guns are really cool? It was really cool. When I saw him disarm Cairo at the beginning, he I was like, get my note here and, says, and Spade's with, a damn I ninja. I that moment where, Ky- where Cairo's like, can I have my gun back? And he gives him back the gun, and then he does the same thing over again. I was like, Sam Spade! <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of a fun moment. Because Spade's right, also like, like, well, oh, of course you would like, do this, course. you crazy oh, guy. And I, and I did really dig that. I also yep. like when the uh, disarming his, Wilmer down, with the two pistols by pulling good. down his coat. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that stuff holds up all right. Well, Ethan, let's ask our third and final you know, question. Do we an, care this about is, this just film? Just like several of the other films that we've talked about, we, we need this film. This film is so generative in, in so many of these things. It's imitated, uh, as I've pointed out. It's... Uh, you know parodied whatever and i think that it has become its own cultural touchstone in a weird way it mimics the sort of macguffin of the falcon itself right in that like you don't need to really see this movie to understand what's going on you don't really need to know the plot of this movie if you've seen all these other movies you understand it you in a rough plot synopsis will give you some information you know this film is has become its own macguffin right you need to understand the broader themes the shots the whatever but the details are are not that important anymore i think and so i do care about it but i care about it in a different way than than i do some other films does that make sense it makes sense but i think i'm going to distance myself from you a little bit and say that I genuinely care about this film. I think watching it is important. I know we don't ask this question in our canon episodes whether or not the audience should watch it. I guess that's just kind of assumed, right? I think they should because I think this is actually a pretty rewarding experience. And I think it's something... I mentioned the word evocative earlier in the episode. And I I want to stick to that a little bit closer and say, I think you get something, if not ineffable, a little more than the sum of its parts, right? I think you can... Think about the cinematography, think about the plot, think about the character, think about the Falcon. But I think altogether that creates something exponential. And so I actually would say that yeah, and you I would just, have to see this film know. to get like the I most said, out of it. I wonder if it just had to do with my frame of mind moving into this. I'm disappointed with my own viewing. I was hoping that I would like it a lot more. And I liked lots of its parts, but it, it all didn't come together for me. And, and I don't know why. I actually have a theory about that. Were you sitting with your fedora on and your trench coat Damn, drinking the whiskey. some whiskey on the rocks? Uh, uh, yeah, see, that's there's your problem there. Yeah, have that. Get your, get myself, your, your pistol. So. You know, pack, pack your heat. <laughs> well, that's, that's also going to be a problem. <laughs> I also think there's a lot of dialogue repartee that was very good i think about halfway through the film when spade meets gutman for the first mm-hmm. time there's a lot of funny back and forth and i think Sidney green street's performance yes. as gutman is, is really good 
and he plays off Bogart really well. And so mm-hmm. that was going to be my pivotal scene until I saw that last one. And I think that stuff I appreciate. I do like a very serious film with a little bit of yeah. comedy commingled with it. Yeah, and I think this just sense. hits all the notes for me, maybe. I wish I had your experience, and I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> you know, you say that every day. It's kind of strange. You think at some point you could. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us on this episode. I want to apologize again for us being late with this one. Entirely my fault. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, moving house and um, living out in the country is, makes it very difficult to get internet. And it's, it's a whole thing. But we will be back on regular schedule next week with our bonus content episode, mm-hmm. which will be 2018's Into the Spider-Verse. And then when we're back on the AFI Top 100, we'll be back to number 30 on the list, which is 1979's Apocalypse Now. Which, you know, I had just read. Oh, so you're primed and ready. A couple weeks ago. So, interesting. Primed and ready. And so, until then, I've been Matt Bazell. This is the stuff that spoilers are made of. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.